0: Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Walk on Redshirts. This time we are jumping into possibly one of the most exciting conferences in college football this year, with it being the Pac-12. I have our Pac-12 expert, Lucas, on with us. If you guys haven't paid paying attention, he puts all kinds of Pac-12 content out. He is a West Coast guy, uh, Oregon State guy, but covers the rest of the Pac-12 for us. Appreciate you having you on, Lucas.
1: Yeah, man. It's been a while, so I appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So like I said, you you are a Pac-12 guy. Wanted to dive into the Pac-12 here a little bit. It's a really interesting conference when you look at top to bottom. It might be the most top-heavy it's been in a while.
1: I would say so. I would say it kind of shocked a lot of people last year. You had a couple of first-year coaches that kind of really jumped off uh, to a really hot start. And, you know, the quarterback play I think is, you could compare it to the Big 10 and the SEC. And I think you could even make a pretty good argument that it's top to bottom. I would say probably the best in the country when you look at the um, amount of high level talent and possibly future NFL uh, quarterbacks that you have spread throughout the conference. So it's, a, it's an exciting time to be, uh, you know, involved with this conference. You know, it might be the last year that it exists, but for now, let's just enjoy it while we have it.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's two really good points in there. I mean, one, quarterbacks, they return the Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams, and he might be the best quarterback in the country, let alone in the Pac-12, but there are a lot of really good quarterbacks in this conference. And like you said, Colorado's already out. We already know they're going to to the Big 12. By the time this releases we are currently recording this on wednesday august 1st 9 p.m eastern time 6 p.m west coast we'll see if somebody else changes conference by the time that this releases we are not subject to any changes and it is not our fault if it happens
1: yeah uh arizona and arizona state just had a meeting not too long ago who knows what was discussed behind closed doors? I will leave that out there for people who are well, more well informed than I am to, you know, s- speculate as to what was discussed, because there are plenty of rumors flying around message boards and Twitter and all sorts of places. So for now, let's just call it the Pacific Conference, because I don't know how many numbers there are. It could be nine, it could be eight, it could be 12, 14, you never know. So. It's uh, it's an interesting time to be uh, a member of this conference, again, while it still exists. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with the Pac-12, one of the big things last year was how close they got to the college football playoff. It's obviously the last year of the four-team college playoff, moving to the 12-team. It's also the last year with USC and UCLA. There are a handful of teams that you think could make that jump how many of the teams in the pac-12 do you think have a realistic chance that could make that jump into the college football playoff this year
1: uh, well i think four off the top of my head that you could consider as um you know two maybe that are more uh solidified picks safe picks if you will that you know if you projected them right now to make it to the college football playoff i don't think anybody would be necessarily surprised and then i think you got two like pretty legit dark horses, um, where, you know, things go right and, uh, they have the right amount of chemistry and things click for them on both sides of the ball, then they could just surprise some people kind of capitalize off their really good momentum that they had in 2022 and make it there. Obviously you've got to start with USC. I mean, USC is back. Um, I mean, Lincoln Riley in year one, I think surprised even most USC fans because, they got off to a really explosive start. Um, obviously, they had a couple of hiccups along the way, just with adding that many guys. Uh, how many guys departed the team? How many guys joined the team? Obviously, that starts with Caleb Williams. Uh, you know, he he had been with Lincoln Riley previously at Oklahoma, but I mean, still getting to a, n- a whole new just lifestyle being Southern California instead of Norman, Oklahoma. And you've got you know some new coaches on the staff. You've got whole new roster that you try and to, you know, put things together as quickly as possible. Uh, I don't think anybody would necessarily be surprised to see USC in the college football playoff. I think a lot of people, you know, feel like they need USC in the college football playoff, especially, you know, as that Pac-12 representative um, to kind of shake things up from what we've seen in years past. Um, And then from there, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see Washington in there as well. I know not a lot of people realized how good of a season Washington had last year. They had one of the best offenses in the entire country, one of the most explosive passing games in the entire country. I know a lot of people talked about Ohio State because of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, and you know CJ Stroud, and all, this, all these guys. But I mean, when you go and look at the numbers that Washington put up and how they ranked, just across anybody in the entire country i mean they were very very impressive they put up a lot of points put up a lot of yards put, a lot, put up a lot of numbers and you know i think they kind of caught lightning in a bottle under your first year coach De DeBoer, and have the ability to find themselves not accidentally but more just you know they they're still flying under the radar for a lot of people especially in the the midwest the south you know, Big Ten region on the East Coast. I mean, uh, I I don't think it would surprise at least people over here in the Western region to see Washington end up in the college football playoff. Um, they were yeah. turning a whole lot of talent. So
0: You made a really good point with their offense. Their passing offense was actually number one in the country. So if you want to look back on some of the elite offenses last year, they passed for 370 yards per game. Michael Penix was the former Indiana quarterback and absolutely burst onto the scene out in Seattle last year, throwing 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and almost 4,700 yards last year. And the crazy part is they return a lot of the production. So he's still going to have you know, an incredible year. He should with having the amount of talent on his offense.
1: Yeah. Um, as long as they can... You know, kind of duplicate what they did last year. I don't think they'll have any problem kind of cruising through a majority of the Pac-12. Obviously, there's some there's some tough games in there. They've obviously got to play Oregon. Got to play Oregon State. If I'm not mistaken, they're playing USC as well. So they've got some tough tests. Um, I believe they're playing Michigan State on the road as well. And first game against
0: Boise. I know it's not the Boise of old, but it's it's another one that you can't really sleep
1: on. Yeah, it's not crisp pretty since uh, Boise State, but you know they are still respected for what they're able to do. Uh, they always put up a good fight against a majority of the Pac-12 when um, they have those non-conference games, when it's home or away. So I think it'll be interesting to see how well the Huskies do and kind of you know earn a lot of respect from like the national perspective of you know what what people I guess perceive Washington football to be because it's changing and it's changed really quickly. So. But I would think that it would come as no surprises, you know, Oregon. They're, they've been there. They've done that. They've, you know, they had Chip Kelly for a number of years. They had Mark Helfrich. They went to a couple of national championship games. They had some down years when they had Willie Taggart for one year before he bounced to FSU. Now you've got Mario Cristobal who come in. Um, obviously, I don't think anybody could really blame him for going back home, literally, to Miami. Uh, and then they brought in Dan Laning, a guy that had never been a head coach before. But at the same time, I think he impressed a lot of people for how young he is. He's still in his mid-30s, I believe. And I think he, you know, had some growing pains a lot of way along the way. I don't think that necessarily surprises anybody. They had some hiccups when, you know, you lose to your big two biggest uh, rivals in in Washington and Oregon State towards the end of the year. Obviously, they got blown out on national television, basically for a home game for Georgia. So I don't think anybody can really fault Oregon for you know losing to Georgia when we saw what they did last year, completing their back-to-back national title run. So I think Oregon, because they were able to get Bo Nicks back, obviously they had some departures going to the NFL and to other schools in the transfer portal. But... Um, They added quite a bit of talent, both on offense and defense. They always recruit really well. We see it time and time again. They're in the top 10 um, almost on a yearly basis for recruiting rankings. And I think the biggest thing, because a lot of people just assumed that Bo Nix was going to bounce to the NFL. And I I, I don't think it was a huge, not necessarily surprise, but... I think it was just a huge, the biggest win that they had in the off season was the fact that Bo Nix came back and it was the most important part because who knows where they would be if they didn't have Bo Nix. They don't have another guy with real playing experience at the quarterback position. And there would be a lot more question marks about this team if Bo Nix wasn't their quarterback, but he is there. So I'll look for them to obviously push for another Rose Bowl, another Pac-12 championship, and then potentially to the college football playoff.
0: And then the last team I know that you probably want to briefly talk about as a, I don't want to say they're a dark horse, but they're going to be better than what people think.
1: I think a lot of people sleep on the potential that Oregon State has. A lot of people automatically assume that DJ is automatically, you know, considered a bust because of his ranking in high school. They don't really see it's hard to pay. It's hard to pay attention to Oregon State football when you are used to seeing Texas and Michigan and Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, all these, you know, elite level programs on TV every single week. And then you forget that Oregon State plays at 730 on the West Coast, you know, for a night game against Stanford or whoever it might be. But Uh, They cruised to the 2022 season, surprised a lot of people, including myself. They won 10 games last year, finished off with a nice win in the Las Vegas Bowl against Florida. And I, you know, they're my they're my dark horse for probably more than any team in the country, because I think they have a very unique opportunity where, again, they can fly under the radar at a very nice kind of cruise control level and they can just do what they've always done they're not very flashy they just do what they do week in week out put their head down work hard and the fact that they got dju i will abbreviate his name because i don't want to botch it but i i think that is a bigger deal than a lot of people are actually expecting it to be i think he's going to do some pretty remarkable things for the offense and playing against or playing behind a, a really, really solid offensive line, one that pro football focus had as one of the top 10 in the entire country, might I add, um, with a really solid run game. You got Damian Martinez, who's one of the best running backs in the conference um, in his sophomore season. Wide receiver core is not as good as it you know could be compared to other teams, but a really solid defense that was number one in the Pac-12. Not a lot of people realize that. Um, among, uh, you know, a variety of categories. So I think they, again, if things play as they could when it comes to, you know, bounce of ball opportunities, you know, winning the turnover battle, maybe catching some luck here and there, I think they could at least put themselves in the conversation. Let's just put it that way. Put themselves in the conversation of a potential college football playoff berth. I know that's a bold, bold Proclamation to put out there, but I think it's uh I think there crazier things have been said and done before.
0: Yeah, I, we'll dig into their schedule a little bit, but I would say the one thing that it wouldn't surprise me if they're it's in November and they're sitting there with one or zero losses because it is honestly pretty favorable for them, especially in the first two thirds of the season.
1: They avoid USC.
0: They uh, avoid USC. A, they, they avoid get USC Utah the home. Big one.
1: They, they get, get Washington, Washington. In at home
0: and then the last game of the year on the road at Oregon. And they won that game last year at home. And you have no idea what you're digging into that late in the season and what, what has come about it. Injuries, play calling, you know, who, who's developed, who hasn't developed, who, who's been replaced, who's been benched. You, you have no idea. Plus weather is affected at this point. You, you honestly have no idea oh, yeah. what, what you're looking at the last game of the season for a game in Oregon.
1: I think they got a lot of confidence as well because two out of the last three years, they have beaten Oregon, and I think that kind of goes a long way when it comes to the mental advantage that they might have over an opponent. Not saying it's a guarantee, but, you know, it's just one of those things that's in the back of players' minds uh, when it comes to game time.
0: So let's jump into some of the key players in this conference. In order, rate me your top five quarterbacks for this conference.
1: Based on what they've done already or based on potential?
0: Uh, let's go or entering entering, this, entering the season, rank your top five.
1: Okay, that makes it easier. It's got to be – got to start with Caleb Williams. I mean – Obviously. Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he's, you
0: know – Likely number one overall pick next year. Yeah, and I
1: mean, yeah. NFL scouts are drooling over him. Uh, you know, he's this and that. He's the next Patrick Mahomes. He's, you know, the second coming of Andrew Luck, John Elway, whoever you want to compare him to. I mean, the kid is – very, very talented. Uh, there's no denying that. I just want, I don't, I, and I don't have any complaints about Cannon Williams. To be honest, I don't. I know people have made a big deal about his quote unquote off the field antics with certain things he's done during the game or after the game or, you know, social media posts or whatever it might be. I just want to see him do it again. I, I give me, because we've seen a lot of guys capitalize off of one year wonder if you know what I mean when it comes to they caught all this hype in a 12 game 13 game span and you know played themselves into a top five top 10 draft pick and then it didn't play out in the NFL I mean we see it year after year it seems like Um, I just want to see Caleb be Caleb do what he does at the highest level want to see him do it for another 12 to 14 games and I want him to play at the highest level in the biggest moments every single week because it's not going to be an easy schedule. They have to go to Oregon. I believe they have to go to Washington. They've got some demons in the back of their head when it comes to playing Utah. We saw that last year. So I, I just want to see if Caleb can be the Caleb that we saw last year, which was a Heisman Trophy winner, couple plays away from potentially being in the college football playoffs, So that's what I'm looking for. Caleb's number one, possibly, if not probably number one in the entire country.
0: All right. So that's number one. Give me number two.
1: I went back and forth with this one a lot, to be honest, because I was also thinking of what they've done previously. And I I was thinking of what they could do this year. And I was a little torn up until the last minute because in the end i think my head had to go with michael Penix because of how much talent he's got returning specifically in his uh in his wide wide receiver core and what they were able to do in year one and i think that the fact that they figured it out in year one plays a huge role like to their advantage because i think if they would have gone let's just say seven and six or eight and four last year they might have not had the same amount of confidence going into year two to be like, Oh yeah, we can, we can do this. Like legit. We can compete with the best of them. We won. I think it was 11 games off the top of my head. Um, and we can compete and we deserve to be respected among the elite programs in the entire country. We can score on anybody. I mean, they beat Texas in the, in the final game of the season in their bowl game. Um, I think, michael pennix has everything to do with that obviously it starts with him it ends with him they had an incredible incredible game on the road at oregon in the hostile environment in eugene oregon and he came up clutch when he needed to come up clutch and just absolutely put on a show and i think when you compile all that together and look at their schedule and the opportunity that they have in front of them. I think Mike Penix has to be number two, but it's a lot closer than people actually realize. So Who does that make number three? Well, I was going to say, because of how competitive this quarterback this quarterback class is, at least in the Pac-12, I think uh, it's, it's you could swap out two through four or five. But number three for me, got to be... Gotta be Bo Nix. I think he's just way too talented. When um, you take at him and look at him individually as a player, I think you just gotta acknowledge that he was a five star coming out of high school, extremely talented with all the right traits if you want in a quarterback. He's obviously a dual threat, so he can do some incredible things with you know running the football uh, as well as throwing it. He had that kind of knick knack injury towards the end of the year. Um, where he kind of tweaked his knee. I think it was in the Washington game, if I'm not mistaken. And I think, you know, they've got some things to figure out when it comes to just decision-making, especially in in close games. Uh, We saw that with the Washington game, which they had control over until, you know, you started to get down to crunch time. The Utah game was a close game that they played at home, but they were able to pull that one out. And then you've got the Oregon State game – It was on the road, but they had a huge lead in the third quarter and couldn't even do something as simple as pick up a first down. So there are some question marks out there, but he's just so so good. He's so talented. If they stay healthy, if he stays healthy, if the offensive line is protecting him how they need him to protect um, Bo Nix, then I think, you know, he... Is a dark horse candidate for potential Heisman Trophy, which is the first one that they would ha- would have had since Marcus Mariota, another dual threat quarterback who was obviously extremely talented. So um, everything is there for Bo Nix to be extremely successful. It's just how how will this season play out? How will Bo Nix take his game to the next level and prove that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country and obviously in this conference?
0: So that makes number four.
1: It has to be cam Rising, be cam rising. I, I don't rising I don't want to and this was hard for me, and I love Cam Rising because he's similar to like the first three that we just named. He's a transfer from another school because he had to sit behind somebody else, and he came into this new situation and just obviously flourished at a very, very high level. I mean. He is in his, what, 12th year at Utah, it seems like. He's been there for so long. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, with all the COVID rule and injuries and redshirt and this and that, I mean, you've got, you know, every excuse to have, you know, 12 years in college at this point. But I think he just does all the things in the right way. He just doesn't do them, like, in a flashy way. Does that make sense? Because he's not throwing the ball for – 400 yards in a, every game, like Michael Penix. He's not super duper dual threat, like Caleb Williams or Bo Nix. He just does everything at a really, really good consistent level. It's just not over the top flashy and over the top crazy putting up stats. He'll, he'll give you 250 passing. he will give you 75 or 50 or whatever might be rushing, but he's got a really good running game. He's got a really good head coach. I'm glad to see that he stayed because there was some rumblings that Kyle Whittingham might leave. And the fact that those two are back together once again, I wouldn't be surprised to see them just take all of the, just being overlooked once again in the PAC 12, everybody thinks, Oh, there's just, there's just Utah. They're just Utah. They're not going to do anything and they are going to be right there crushing USC or whoever else in the Pac-12 title game again. And that's a big reason to do with Cam Rising because of how just he has that leadership, whatever you want to call it, you know, just it factor in him to be the quarterback that Utah needs to be a Rose Bowl champion, uh, you know, in the Rose Bowl last year. I mean, he's just, he has everything that you want and you're looking for in a quarterback. I know he's coming off a knee injury from this past off season, but... Cam freaking rising. I mean, what are you going to do?
0: He kind of reminds me, I guess Utah and Cam rising kind of remind me of like Penn State and Sean Clifford. Like Sean Clifford yeah. was an above average quarterback. He knew what he was. He he wasn't a future NFL star. You know, for instance, Clifford's on the Packers. Maybe he sticks, maybe he doesn't. Cam rising understands what he is. I mean, if he knew he was a for sure NFL quarterback, he would be in the NFL at this point which it kind of makes me upset that Rising got hurt in that game because it was two programs that are very similar to each other. They're both looking to get over that hump. Penn State just recruits at a little bit higher level. Utah kind of has some different limitations, just even with location and hard to get recruits to come to Utah compared to being in Pennsylvania, where you're right in the heart of a DMV. It's easier access to Florida recruiting down there. But the two programs kind of remind me of each other and Cam Rising' style reminds me of Sean Clifford, just a gritty quarterback that is not afraid to put his head down, run for the extra yards. He's not afraid to get hit, but he can make plays when he needed to. But he also was never going to be a Heisman candidate. He's never going to win the Pac-12 player of the year. He's going to win games, but they're not going to be in the flashy way.
1: Nope. And that's, I think that's exactly how they wanted it too. they, Do what they do. That is Utah's culture. (laughs) Yeah, and it's been like this. It's not even like this is a new thing. It's been like this pretty much since Kyle Whittingham got there. I mean, people forget that Kyle Whittingham and Utah beat Nick Saban in uh, Alabama in a bowl game. It was a Sugar Bowl, two thousand nine or something like that. It was like two thousand nine, yeah, maybe
0: '08 or something like right around then.
1: Yeah. So I mean, they've been doing this, and again, they've just been nobody thinks about them because they're Utah. You know what I mean? It's just I don't know. It it's different when you um, when you grow up and you watch them almost on a weekly basis because you know that you have to play them basically every single year. I know that they have only been in the Pac-12 since I think 2010 or 2012. I forget which year they um, came into the Pac-12, but yeah, it's just they're they're that team. And I know it's different in every conference, but they're that team where it's like, oh, geez, we got to play Utah this week. You know what I mean? Because you know what you're going to get every single year that you play them. So I don't know. And the fact that they have Cam Rising, that that quarterback that finally Kyle Whittingham has had to just keep everything at ease and make sure that everything is executed in the right way and be that leader that he needs on and off the field, I mean – I don't know what more you could ask for.
0: And then, so that makes your fifth quarterback, DJU?
1: Yes, but I think it's almost, and I don't want to, I don't want it to come across as the wrong way, but I think it's almost by default, if that makes sense. If Dante Moore was in his second year, and even if he had like a, an, a, you know, an average freshman year, I would think based on potential, you'd have to put Dante Moore at number five.
0: You know, you're going to people thinking that you should have Shadir Sanders in here.
1: That's that's great. And I respect those people. I I like him a lot. I think he's going to be really good for Colorado, but I need to see I need to see him do it against some different teams. And I don't think that's unfair, and I don't think that's criticizing him and I don't think that's saying anything negative about him. I just want mix it up. It's the same thing if you when you when what we said about Trevor Lawrence coming out of Clemson, he did all these great things in the ACC, but it's like, okay, let's see him do it against the NFL teams. Right. And we needed to see him prove it to all of us as critics and as fans against NFL teams. It's the same thing for Shadur. We saw him do it in, you know, at uh Jackson state. He did great things. There's no taking anything away from him, but okay. The PAC 12 is not the sec or the big 10, but let's just, see. let's just see what it looks like. And I have no problem putting him at number five at the end of the season if that's where he deserves to be, or even higher. I mean, he could be number one for all we know. But for right now, my, my quarterback at number five has to be DJ. And I think part of it has to do with what he did in his couple seasons at Clemson 'Cause we saw some really, really good things. He out burst of onto the
0: scene when he started against you know Notre Dame early in that first year. He he threw for like four hundred or some yards.
1: Yep. And I don't think everything was his fault. I think a lot of it had to do with some growing pains, obviously, just like anybody goes through as a young quarterback. You know, you lost your offensive coordinator after first year, you get another one that comes in. Maybe, you know, there's some not seeing eye to eye on how things should be called or how things should look or whatever it might be it just didn't work out let's just you know we don't have to get into too many details about it it just didn't work out but the potential is still there he's still extremely talented he was one of the most sought after quarterbacks in the transfer portal for a reason and If I'm not mistaken, it was on December 24th that he announced that he was going to go to Oregon State, of all places. A place that he said he was going to transfer to, sight unseen. He didn't even visit the campus before he said he was going to go to Oregon State. He just said, I had conversations with the coaches. I like the offense that they run. I think I'm a really, you know, I'm capable of being a plug-and-play kind of guy. I think DJ is exactly what Oregon State needed to take their offense to the next level. And I think Oregon, Oregon State is exactly what DJ needed and DJ is exactly what Oregon State needed. Does that make sense? They, they just yep. needed each other. And I think because it's a perfect fit, then you're going to get the best out of DJ. And again, I'm, I'm projecting it based off potential, but that's just my opinion. I may be completely wrong. You may come back and... January and say, Lucas, you dumb, dumb, you were completely wrong. And look at DJ. Now he's, you know, benched as a third string, but this is how I feel about the situation because I, I've, I've seen it. I've, we've all seen it with transfers going from one place to another. Um, Justin Fields, uh, Quinn Ewers, Caleb Williams, uh, Michael Penix, um, jeez i can't even think of another one off the top of my head just quarterback after quarterback just going from one place to another and for whatever reason it didn't work out in the first place but it really works in the second and i think that's what we're going to see again here
0: yeah yeah and like i want to go back to one of your points when you said dj you didn't need to visit the campus so this is a hot take for me i personally don't think transfers need to worry about visiting the campus as much because if you're transferring for most times It's about playing time. You need to find the right fit with a coaching staff. It shouldn't matter as much of what does the cafeteria look like? What does your weight room look like? You know, for you at that point, if you're working on your second effort, you're really trying to find a good culture fit. And I think DJ needed that culture fit for him. And understanding what Oregon State had to offer him was important there.
1: Yeah, and he got a lot of hype coming out of high school, and I think Oregon State. He was a is five-star player. He's, I think, number two quarterback in the country coming out of high school at St. John Bosco, and you get all that hype and you get all that expectations, and he was on the cover of, you know, whatever magazine that he was going to be this past year. I believe that he was going to be one of the school contenders, right? And you know, it all fizzled out. I think being at a place like Oregon State or any program and location where it's a lot more low key where he can just focus on football and nothing else and he doesn't have a hundred cameras in front of his face every single day i think that's also going to play into allowing him just to take a deep breath and focus on football and that you're going to actually see the best of dj this upcoming season
0: clemson you're expected to contend for national championships not every guy is meant for that kind of spotlight. Now, if he is going to be a quarterback and needs to play in the NFL, then that's something he isn't to, to learn if he is as talented as what he is meant to be. But sometimes you have to perform on your own at a smaller spot to build that up. You know, like we were saying, well, I'm going to dig in here to Oregon state here soon, but if their schedule does allow them to do that, there is going to be more of a buildup compared to burst on the scene. You haven't even played a snap yet. And you've got seven microphones in your face asking how you're going to win a national championship.
1: Uh, And his freshman year, he came in and was expected to replace Trevor Lawrence, who won a national championship in his freshman season against Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. So... The expectations uh, put on his shoulders as a young kid still. I mean, he's 18, 19. I mean, think about how we were at 18, 19. I mean, I can't imagine having the weight of an entire football program like that, like Clemson, put on your shoulders and say, okay, because the guy that was here before you did it, now you're expected to just automatically do it and we don't care you know how you feel about it. We just need you to do it, and there's no excuses. No, no sick day. No off day. No, uh, you know I've got something going on in personal life or with school. Like just figure it out. So I mean, it's just one of the things. Again, we've seen it so many times. It maybe just doesn't work at first with your first goal, but maybe it does at your second. It yeah, worked so out what, really good for Caleb Williams.
0: So I want to start diving into some of these teams. Um, I think we talked about the quarterbacks a lot. So I want, want to talk about some of these teams and what the expectation for them overall is this year. Uh, I think I don't want to dig too much on USC because I think we know where their expectation is. You bring back Caleb Williams. You know, they've got a really good team already. The, the main question is, does their defense improve? Last year, their defense was abysmal. It was one of the worst in the country. Does the defense improve? They went into the portal, went to try to get some guys. Uh, you know, they should have a pretty good running back with Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, Rayleigh Brown is a young kid who should get some playing time. You know, they brought in Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. They brought in Bear Alexander from Georgia. You know, they've got guys on this team. Is this the year USC actually goes twelve zero?
1: If I. If you're asking me to place a bet on it right now, I would say no, because I think that's – and I don't think it has anything to do with USC. I think it's just everything to do with the conference. I think the conference is just so good that you could slip up on any particular week. Keep in mind, I mean, USC was the it school in the the conference until – I mean, even was it week four when I think it was the – the conference opener when they went to Corvallis and played at Oregon state on a really cold uh, September night and they put up 17 points and they have Jordan Addison, they have Caleb Williams, they have Malik Brown, they have Lincoln Riley, they have all of these, you know, superstar players and everything like that. And they almost slip up, you know, they, give them credit. They ended up pulling away when it needed to, you know, matter most, but they almost slipped up and that could have derailed the whole season before it even really got started. So I don't think they go 12 and zero. I don't think that diminishes their chances of going to the college football playoff. I just think the conference is too good top to bottom, but I, you, you nailed it. I mean, it's defense. I don't, I, I don't need to think about the offense to be honest, because I know that side of the ball is already, they've got it figured out. They, they know it works. They've got so many receivers. They have too many at this point. I mean, they added a thousand yard receiver Dorian singer from Arizona last year as a transfer. I mean, they're so freaking loaded. It's crazy. Are they going to stop anybody? They went to shoot out against Arizona uh, mid year last year in Tucson. And We're giving up. I think it ended up being either high 30s or low 40s um, against Utah last year. And so – or against Arizona last year, excuse me. So, But then, yeah, we saw what happened against Utah when they couldn't stop them to save their lives. So
0: Their schedule is brutal. The second half of the year, they go at Notre Dame versus Utah, get a little bit of a light one with a game at Cal. Then they go versus Washington – at Oregon versus UCLA. Five of those last six games are going to be tough. Because UCLA, we don't really know what they're going to look like right now. Because Dante Moore may start the first game of the year. But if he does start or even if he comes in, he's got games under his belt at this point. Yes, attentions will be high. It'll be hyped up. But game 12, all bets are off in a rivalry game. But yeah. When you play at Notre Dame, that's not going to be an easy game. Sam Hartman's nope. a really good quarterback. Utah has had their number recently. Oh, yeah. Washington, you're expecting a shootout. Whoever has the ball last might score. Oregon, another incredibly talented team. You know, this is the second half of the year. They, they should be 6-0 and when they play Notre Dame. And all bets are off. They could lose two games out of that last. Six and I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Very, very easily, and that's if they are thinking that they're going to win a forty-two to forty-one battle, and it doesn't play out that way. And it happened more than once last year. Look at the look at the game in Salt Lake City uh, during the regular season when they had to go and try to beat beat Utah, and they messed around and they couldn't get you know a stop when they needed to. So. They added a lot of flashy, you know, pieces on defense, but are they going to be able to, you know, step up when it matters most?
0: The thing is with their defense, I don't know how many experienced pieces they added. They added a couple, Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State, but like the big names, the Bear Alexander, the Anthony Lucas, like they didn't play a ton at their universities. Now, granted, Bear Alexander came from Georgia. Your freshmen don't play a ton at Georgia. Anthony Lucas came in with 75 five-star defensive linemen. So there was only so many guys they could play at one time. But there is some intrigue with those guys. But also, they're going to need to get experience. So maybe those first six games are where they can do it. But if they're expecting immediate impacts, they might not have it this year. Because, I mean, their best defensive lineman, tuli I'm not even going to try to say this last name. Whatever, 13 and a half sacks for USC taken in the second round. He's you know, 13 and a half sacks, you know, one of the best pass rushers in the country last year. Yeah, Do they have somebody on this team that can bring pressure to the opposing quarterbacks like him? I don't know. Maybe they do, but I don't know if they're going to have somebody that can come in immediately and register 10 plus
1: sacks. I just... it's I need to see it to believe it. I If you show it to me, I have no problem putting my hands up to say, you were right, I was wrong. You are the real deal. You know what I mean? But I... There are some legit questions that can and should be raised. And I don't think it's unfair to say, you know, let's, let's see what you got. Let's, you know, when he knows about the offense, you are going to do what you do every single year on offense, but let's see the defense.
0: The next one I want to touch on is Washington, because personally I think the biggest thing for Washington was not losing Ryan Grubb to Alabama keeping your offensive coordinator from arguably the best offense in the country last year on your staff is huge because continuity with the guys they bring back. Not that there would have been a new offense, but there might've been new plays, uh, new style, something that would have been different for these guys. And having the same offensive coordinator, a young up and coming guy with Caleb DeBoer, this offense averaged just under 40 points a game last year. There's no reason why they shouldn't be a little bit higher than that with the amount of guys they bring back.
1: Uh, yeah. And um, I think it's a matter of, again, I think I said it earlier, but they caught lightning in a bottle in uh first year under Kalen DeBoer when, you know, I, I, I remember seeing people saying, man, they're, they should feel really good if they win six, seven, maybe even eight games in this first year and they ended up winning what was it, eleven games and they went eleven they,
0: and two, 10 and two in the regular season and their only two losses, a twelve point or an eight point loss to UCLA and a very weird seven point loss to Arizona State.
1: I remember that Saturday very well and it was the weirdest thing. Possibly all season for the Pac-12 to see that go down when Arizona State had just, I think they had just fired Herm Edwards and were in the midst of a, I don't even know what you want to call it. I think dumpster fire might be the most appropriate thing to call it, but I was just one of the weirdest times to be uh, a fan of the Pac-12 at that point in time because there was so much going on all at once. Um, Yeah, I mean... I, I think all, again, kind of similar to USC, um, I think all of the necessary pieces are there for them to exceed expectations once again. Not a lot of people believe that they can do it for a second year in a row. I think they are going to have some early tests um, in, like in their season, in the non-conference specifically. I know they go at Michigan State uh, week three. Um, I knew, Michigan State's going to be
0: terrible. They should absolutely run Michigan State out the building. It's,
1: it's just it's one of those things. You know what I mean? It's it's a nationally televised game. It's it's you know Mel Tucker. Is he is he here? Is he there? Is he everywhere? Is he is not coming. I <laughs> I don't know. You're you're more of a big time guy than I am. I I just remember his brief time in the Pac-12 as Colorado's head coach. I know Colorado fans still love him to this day. Um, just ask any one of them; they are huge fans of his. But anyway, he was there like eight months. Pretty much, yeah. But yeah, I don't think he
0: had a chance to re-sign his lease. He was there so short.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I, I mean, like you pointed out, I mean, they handled business when they when they needed to handle business against the kind of top-tier opponents when it came to beating Oregon State at home, beating Oregon on the road. I believe. I know they avoided USC. I think they avoided USC and Utah last year.
0: Yeah, last year they avoided every big team, Which, basically.
1: I don't know how they did that, to be honest. I, they I don't didn't know play how. USC
0: or Utah, but they did play Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, in back. And I guess UCLA,
1: UCLA, too, was a respectable team last year. I'll give them, yeah. because they had Dorian Thompson, Robinson, you know, all that, so... I'm not I'm not gonna hold that loss against them. That's you know, that's a respectable loss in my opinion. They should have um, beat
0: Arizona State.
1: Oh yeah. And should have beat Arizona State. The weirdest game of the entire season, to be honest. Yeah, it's just here we're looking ahead and it's they've got like I said, they've got everything at their disposal when it comes to all the tools to be successful and in my opinion, potentially make a college football playoff. Um, something that they haven't done since 2016 when they went up against Alabama. But, you know, besides Michigan State, uh, the third week of the year, they've got to go and play Oregon at home. That's going to be a bloodbath, as it always is. Um, They have to play at USC, play home against Utah. So there's your gauntlet right there. Uh, Actually, a three-game stretch, I forgot, um, because they play Oregon State at Oregon State, which won't be easy. And then they – Finish with Washington State at home, which is, you know, just the rivalry game where it's – pride is on the line. It doesn't matter who's good and who's bad. If they're both good, both bad. It's everything to the fans of the Apple Cup. It's the Pacific Northwest version, the Iron Bowl. Let's just put it that way. I know it's up in the middle of nowhere compared to Alabama and Auburn fans, but, I mean, it means a lot up here. So, yeah, I think – They're probably going to cruise like we talked about with USC for the first, what, uh, five games of the season, and then it gets a little tricky after that. Um, Are they, can they do it for a second year in a row? I think they can. I think Michael Penix is going to play himself into like a hand and hooker type season, um, except do it for two years in a row. And hopefully avoid injury, which he has had ACL in the past while he was at Indiana. But um, if he can do that, then I think, you know, he could potentially see himself become a first or second round pick.
0: Yeah, the first five games should be easy, but the last four are that gauntlet at USC versus Utah at Oregon State versus Washington State. If if they're going to drop a game, I like the Oregon game to be very, very tough. It's going to be a big game for them.
1: At least they get it at home though.
0: I I think they win that one. If they drop, if they start dropping games, it's going to be those last four. And I could see them dropping two of those four.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it surprised anybody. It's just, it's the depth of the conference and it's, everybody's going to beat up on everybody. Um, you know, I nobody's immune from there's no one superstar team. Everybody is on chopping block for being upset at any possible time, any week, any day. So we shall see.
0: So wanted to go to a little bit more of a controversial team, get your thoughts. Coach Prime, Dion Sanders, Colorado. I, I'm reading things. The preview magazine I'm reading saying their ceiling is nine and three. Like, are they even gonna have a winning record? Like, the biggest thing to me is the offensive and defensive line play. It's cr- all fine and dandy. You get Shadur Sanders, you get Travis Hunter, you get Cormani McClain, like you go and get Kavorski Smoke from Kentucky. You know, you, you go and get these guys that are playmakers, but show me the offensive defensive line. Savelle Smalls comes from Washington, but he wasn't playing much up for Washington. They don't really have much of an offensive line. They lose 70 guys off of last year. Now, granted, they were terrible, so replacing all of them might not be a bad thing. But this is longer than a one-year rebuild.
1: Uh, well, I was gonna say if you check that article again and uh, for that preview magazine, and it says nine and three, I would check and see in the fine print uh, what year they are picking them to be nine and three. Because if they would have said twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six, I would have no problem with that. I would be all ears. But when you tell me nine and three in twenty twenty three, I can't take you seriously.
0: Now they do have their floors three and nine, but I still think that floor is still not low enough
1: i would say that would be about where they should be until they prove it otherwise i would say that is right around where they should be if they win six games that's basically i don't want to go crazy obviously but you know that's cause for a a parade in boulder colorado i mean last year they went 111 and they weren't even a competitive 111 i mean they're you know, their bottom. one
0: win was in overtime against Cal. It's not even like they won handily. They yeah. were losing games by thirty, forty points consistently.
1: Yeah, and I don't. I again, you tell me. They got me that blown going, out
0: by Air Force.
1: Yeah, they. I think Air Force had over five hundred yards just of rushing in that game. If well, they don't
0: it. throw the ball, so it makes sense.
1: I. It's Air Force. Respect to Air Force all day, every day, but let's be real. It's Air Force, and you're supposed to be Colorado. You're supposed to be a Power 5 team. You just got accepted to go to the Big 12 because you're supposedly this hot commodity, and yet you are a laughingstock when it comes to national relevancy. And let me just put this out there. Uh, I'm a fan of all Pac-12 teams. I love this conference. I've grown up with, with this conference since it was a Pac-10 um, I might have a tiny bit of bias when it comes to Oregon State, but it's very unnoticeable. Um, I'm not even wearing an orange polo today. I'm wearing a red one, um, If for those who are seeing this clip. But Dan Lanning said something so fantastic yesterday that was uh, hit the hammer with the nail. Whatever the saying is, I can't even think. I'm trying to get this point out.
0: Hit the nail on the head.
1: Thank you. Colorado and Utah have been in the conference since I believe it was 2012. Colorado is apparently this hot commodity. Again, they have Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is Deion Sanders. I get it. But Dan Lanning said something in his press conference yesterday at Oregon uh, Football Media Day. In the time that they've been in the Pac-12, what have they done to be – who's going to miss them? It's like, you know, the the sky is falling. The conference is falling apart. But – Who is going to miss Colorado what did they bring to the table that made the Pac-12 so much better? Did they bring in more revenue dollars? Did they bring in more ticket sales? Did they bring in more viewership eyes when it comes to going to the negotiating table with ESPN and Fox and CBS and NBC and Apple and CW and Food Network and whatever TV company is going to, uh, you know, have this partnership deal with the Pac-12. Colorado is just Colorado. I mean, it's Colorado has been the equivalent of Vanderbilt and what they are in the SEC. Let's just put it that way. Just less smart. Thank you. Uh, Well, they're smart in certain areas. Let's just put it that way. But who who in the SEC takes Vanderbilt seriously when it comes to uh, uh, their football program? Let me put it that way. I I don't want to disrespect Vanderbilt because I know what Vanderbilt is and – they're very good in other sports, but when we're talking strictly about football, I mean, what do we, what are we talking about here? And I, again, it, i started to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but for everybody that's freaking out about, Oh my gosh, the Pac-12 is losing Colorado. Okay. I mean, we're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be fine. I mean, it's, when the Pac-12 lost USC and UCLA, that's cause for panic. That's, you know, DEFCON 5. That's, and the the house is burning down. What are we doing to fix this? But I mean, losing Colorado, I mean, you could replace them with Boise State over the last 10 years, and Boise State has a better case to be more respectable than Colorado. And I, I don't want people to think I'm hating on Colorado, but I mean, it's just the facts. I mean, if you're looking at the win totals of Colorado, the last Ten years. I mean, what have they done? They had one good year when they won 10 games. And I think that was 2016. And then what? So I, when it comes to Colorado, enjoy your last year in the PAC 12. Uh, You know, there has been lots of chatter that every team that is remaining in the PAC 12 or PAC, whatever you want to call it. um, It's going to be extra motivated to put some extra points on the board to stick it to them. So, uh, I hope you are ready for what's coming your way, at least in twenty twenty three. Yeah,
0: I I can absolutely see that one. And the schedule does not line up favorably for them because they open the season at TCU and then host Nebraska. I know Nebraska may not have been the world beater last couple years, but they've got their own
1: Go ahead.
0: Matt Rule is there and like they're in a better spot than Colorado. Heading into the season, you know, the real only true games that I think that they're going to win Colorado state, Arizona state, Stanford. Those are the only ones that I see there for sure. You know, maybe they pull off a win against Washington state, Arizona. You know, I don't know how UCLA is going to load, you know, Nebraska and TCU, I think are toss ups because TCU is replacing a lot from coming back. So maybe they get to five wins but they're not getting—they're not getting eight, nine wins. They're not going to be competing for Pac-12 championships. They're not going to be in the top twenty-five.
1: Fox's crew is going to be in Fort Worth for that TCU game uh, when Coach Prime comes to town, and I'm sure TCU would like to get the chase of embarrassment out of their mouths by going at uh, Colorado a little extra hard and sending them a welcome present to the Big Twelve. And Nebraska, I mean, they've got their own rivalry that goes back I don't know how many years, uh, but I'm sure they would like their get back and uh, would like to stick it to Colorado because they've got their own social media battle that's been going on since uh, Coach Prime and uh, Matt Rule got hired, and this game was going to be played. So that's going to be a really good one to watch. And then, again, you went through it. I mean – you had to educated guess your way into maybe they could get to six wins. So I don't want to hear anything about nine wins, please. In 2025, if you say nine wins, I will, I'm all ears.
0: Yeah. So, uh, want to talk about the Oregon, Oregon state teams, because I kind of think they go hand in hand a little bit, uh, with what they have this year. And what, Potential expectations could be for both of them. Who do you want to start with? Let's let's start with Oregon uh, because, like we talked about with Bo Nix, he's back. He had a really good season last year. You know, he was a Heisman contender. uh, Kind of fell off towards the end of the season, but they're in a really good spot with what they have. Um, Absolutely, they, they are a playoff contender. But they also have a very difficult schedule. You know, they have their gauntlet right in the middle of the season. So it's going to be interesting how they are able to rebuild uh some of the if I, may,
1: if I may pose a you know, just throwing it out there week two at Texas Tech against former Oregon quarterback Tyler Shuck. Uh just saying if you're watching one game because Texas, Texas and Alabama is that week or you're watching your other favorite team, just keep an eye out for what's going on in Lubbock, Texas that day. Just saying.
0: I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that because Texas Tech is going to be a good team this year. They're, they're going to be better than what people think. And on the road at Texas Tech could be an interesting – situation. Lubbock is not an easy place to win for teams. and Georgia has struggled with these early season matchups in the past. You know, Not just Georgia last year. They've struggled with some of these games in the very beginning of the year. They beat Ohio State, but if you look back, that's really one of the only ones that they've won. They, they've really started their conference season with a lost ten- a lot of times when they do play these big games so yeah that texas tech game could be one to watch out for
1: Um, it's it's a good early test it's not ohio state obviously but it's a good like let's figure out where we're at now work out all the kinks and before we obviously get in the conference play where things really ramp up and start to matter
0: one guy i'm interested to see how he does is jordan birch from south carolina you know he was a five-star prospect at south carolina uh, I believe he was class of 22. So he only played for one season, but I know he got on the field a little bit and I, I want to see how Oregon uses him because he has the potential to be a game wrecker. He has the potential to be a guy who could get double j- digit sacks.
1: He's a, he's a plug and play kind of guy. Um, obviously the five-star coming out of high school. Um, didn't pan out at South Carolina for whatever reason. Um, but with a number of, like, uh, vacant spots um, along the defensive line where they need somebody to come in and, and step up, um, you know, Jordan Birch is obviously more than capable, based on talent alone, to come in and be that guy. Um, I think he needs to really kind of accept his role, whatever it might be for Oregon. I don't think he needs to try to do too much, like right out of the gate. I think he just needs to kind of feel his way out and 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 try to, again, play into his role, not go over the top, not, you know, underperform. Uh, there might be some South Carolina fans who were, questioning his motor and his willingness to go hard every single play, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's in the past, let's leave that alone. But, um, it was put out there by obviously South Carolina fans who want him to be, you know, the five-star that he was coming out of high school. So, uh, you know, it's another, it's just like, we're talking with the quarterbacks. I mean, it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, have a fresh start, a clean slate and, uh, you know, Show everybody that, you know, this is the, the, the dirt Birch that I was always supposed to be, that I am, that I will be, and I'm worthy of, uh, you know, being selected in the NFL drafts um, come next spring.
0: And they signed five-star Mateo, DJ Brothers. Mateo, I, I'm going to take a shot. You, Young Alele, I believe that's how you say it. Uh, Mateo, who is DJ's brother, who will add some intrigue to the end of season matchup. Because if he is a five-star and he is as good as people think he is, then he will likely get some sort of rotational snaps at least throughout the year. Maybe he's not a starter, but he should be seeing some playing time throughout the season.
1: Uh, I think he's too talented not to see playing time, Um, especially when you open against um, Portland State. Um, Obviously go to Texas Tech, but then you're home against um, Hawaii and then home against Colorado um, to open the, the conference play. So I think there's going to be more than enough opportunities um, to at least see how he does in those first four games. And then you can decide if you want, if he needs a red shirt. There's nothing wrong with red shirting. Uh, you know, you've got superstar quarterbacks who come in with lofty expectations as, uh, you know, a five-star coming in. And their freshman year, they might use those – you know, those four games to rack up some garbage time opportunities. But then, you know, they got a red shirt and there's nothing wrong with it. I think we're going to see that out of Arch Manning and Malachi Nelson and a number of other guys at a multitude of different positions. And, you know, I think he, if he, if if he is who we think he's going to be, I think he will see himself on the field. But I don't think there's any need to – Put any extra pressure on him to be the guy day one. I think you know, bring him along. He's a true freshman. He's obviously got a lot of expectations already on his shoulders, being um, the younger brother of DJ and another fight star coming from that family. Uh, coming from I, I just job, want to see Osco. him sack
0: his brother personally. I just want to see him sack his brother.
1: I think his dad put it out there on on Twitter that he wants to see if that moment happens, it's going to be a special moment for the family, which how cool is that? I mean, uh, that's every parent's dream to see, you know, your kids, you know, obviously it'd be cool to see them on the same team on one or the other, but um, even if it would have been at Clemson, but still, I mean, to see both of your kids on the field at the same time, I mean, that's something uh, every parent could dream about. So yeah. yeah, I think you know all the potentials there for for Mateo to be a really important ple- a really important piece under Dan Lanning in this uh, in this defense.
0: So, moving on to Oregon State, the one that you are the most familiar with, I, I think that they are realistically probably a nine win regular season team with what they have coming back and the schedule that they have. Maybe they pull an upset or two here, but I also could see them getting upset by a team. When you look at the schedule games against Utah games against Washington against Oregon, those three are already going to be tough games. So even if they managed to win one of them, it wouldn't shock me if a school like UCLA is able to pull an upset on them with just how they have their team and where the, the schedule falls. Also, Arizona could be an interesting player this year with what they've been building. Yeah, so um, I want I want to hear your thoughts on what you think a realistic number for Oregon State is this year.
1: I think just like with the other teams that we've been highlighting, uh, besides Colorado, uh, Utah, um, uh, USC, Oregon, Washington, um, I think um, I think the momentum's on their side. I just think that we, as everybody is, because a lot of these teams, they weren't um, knock it out the park, just automatic superstar level teams compared to Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, um, even Clemson to a degree. Um, I think we're waiting for each of these teams, including Oregon State, to do it for a second year in a row and to prove that they are um, – who they say they are um, when it comes to um, just legitimacy um, week in and week out. I know they have a relatively easier non-conference schedule, um, San Jose State, uh, UC Davis and San Diego State, maybe future pack question mark number of teams, San Diego State, Um, but then yeah, they start uh, conference play with the trip to Poland to play Washington State. Um, obviously, like you said, they play Utah, but it's at home this time. So that will be an outstanding game. Cal, I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to predict Cal. Um, home against UCLA. Again, it'll depending on the Dante Moore situation at Arizona. I'm still waiting for Arizona to cross the threshold of uh, um, you know, bull eligible on a regular basis Um, at Colorado. I mean, I don't want to rehash that. Um, Home against Stanford, New Year. I mean, Andrew Luck's not walking through the door. Um, First year head coach from Sacramento State, Troy Taylor. I mean, we'll we'll figure it out once we get there um, and see what they're all about. Uh, Home against Washington. So that's two games, two of your key games right there at home. Um, don't have to play USC, um, but then obviously finish at Austin Stadium in Eugene, Oregon against uh, against the Ducks, which is always going to be a crazy, crazy competitive game. Um, so I mean, I think the ceiling is I'm just gonna say ceilings Rose Bowl. I mean, I don't I don't think it's out of totally out of the realm of possibility that they could make the Rose Bowl. Um, or be in the Pac-12 championship game, again, if they're able to take care of business, if a team like USC slips up once, maybe twice in conference play, if Washington slips up at home against uh, Oregon, if Oregon slips up at home against USC, all these different factors come into play because there's so many good teams in the conference that it's, it's not totally crazy to suggest that Oregon sales could almost quote-unquote, accidentally find themselves in the Pac-12 championship game or even the Rose Bowl, just because they've been the most consistent team and haven't had any extreme highs or lows throughout the entire season.
0: The last thing I want to quickly touch on, and I want to get in touch on just a little bit, because uh, they are the other major team in here, um, but we're starting to run a little long, is Utah. Um, we talked about Cam Rising. The big thing for them is their offensive weapons. Um, they don't really have a great receiving core. They do bring in like a Pittman from Florida state. Dalton Kincaid is off to the NFL. Uh, they do have break Caruth coming back as tight end and should probably be their main weapon, but wanted to get your thoughts on, can Utah finally get over the hump or is this going to be another year where they're probably nine, 10 wins, you know, fighting it out with everybody else, but it might be a dog eat dog in the pac 12.
1: No, um, again i think kind of similar they're i think when you're comparing them uh, comparing the teams it's like is in a class of their own washington and oregon are kind of more similar than people think i know it hate uh, washington and oregon fans hate when they get compared to one another and then you've got oregon state and utah that i think are probably the most two similar teams in the conference um with comparing both of them um yeah they did lose some 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 key pieces um, both on offense and defense either to the draft or to um, the transfer portal however I mean they've been under Kyle Whittingham in the I think 23 years that he has been um, the head coach in Salt Lake City um, I they're one of the best five teams, ten teams in the country when it comes to developing players that are relatively unknown compared to all the five and four stars that get talked about. Um, I think they could just – while everybody else is worried about each other and the flashy players at the top, I think Utah, just like with any other year, could sleepwalk their way into – hey, we're in the Pac-12 championship again. You guys decided to sleep on us and not take us seriously, but here we are yet again because we're Utah, and we do things the way that we've always been doing them, and we are a tough-minded football team that is going to execute at the highest level, do things the right way, and completely just dominate on both lines of scrimmage, and Cam Rising's going to do what Cam Rising does, and lead us hopefully to another Pac-12 championship game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do think that they're a legitimate contender in the Pac-12. So speaking of that, last thing I want to have you do is I want you to predict the two teams from the Pac-12 that are going to make the conference championship and give me a winner.
1: Um, Well, if I had to bet today... um... My safe bet is probably to say that Washington and USC are going to be in the Pac-12 championship game. I think they are the ones with the least amount of question marks on their roster. And again, injury is a completely different thing you have to take into consideration because one injury to Caleb Williams or Michael Penix and everything's derailed. But... Those are top-tier, just safest bets, just the most well-rounded teams that I probably think are bound for the Pac-12 title game. And I... It is in my opinion that I think Washington is going to come out on top. I might change my mind tomorrow or in an hour. But I think right now, I think I like just so much about what Washington has done in a short period of time. And again, I mean, you're comparing basically apples to apples with, you know, you've got first year, uh, first year head coach, Lincoln Riley, and then first year head coach, uh, Cameron DeBoer. And they're on the same uh, kind of timeline when it comes to how fast they're able to, you know, gel these pieces together, but I think Washington is just in that perfect timing situation to try to capitalize and either head to the Rose Bowl or head to the college football playoff.
0: Yeah, Washington has been my dark horse college football playoff team, and I, I've got to stick with that. And I'm going to take the same prediction you have because I do think USC is going to make it there. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the first matchup, and I think that could be a Tail sign of who actually makes the college football playoff because it could hold one of the two teams out. If USC wins and Washington loses another game somewhere, you know, I could see that holding them out of the college football playoff. But I do like Washington to beat USC in the Pac 12 championship.
1: So. Yeah, uh, it could. You know, it's it's just going to depend on who handles business on a week by week basis because this this conference is so deep, and you could lose on any given Saturday to a handful of teams. So it's just don't slip up to don't slip up to Arizona State on the road, and you'll be fine. You'll find yourselves in the Rose Bowl or the college football playoffs. So um, we'll see.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lucas, I appreciate you taking the time with me today to talk about the Pac-12, jumping into that, looking deep into most of the teams. I know we can get to every team. Sorry to our Cal, our Stanford, our Arizona State, you know, our uh, Washington State fans. It's not that we don't love you, but we wanted to take a look at the top end of the conference today. Um, So appreciate it. I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point during the season. Um, with that being said, uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, anything that's on your podcasting platform that can help us reach more people. Make sure to check out walkonredshirts.com for all of Lucas's Pac-12 content. With that being said, thank you all.